Welcome to Our Parents Did What? A tour of the parenting perils of yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Hey, Diane. Hello, Jen. How are you? I'm really good. I'm sleepy, but good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I think we're in a constant state of sleepy, but good. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It's like the best way to describe myself these days. So, <laughs> yes. I was I was just chuckling to myself a little bit as we did our intro because I realized that every time I say it, I smile to myself and make a really weird face when I go, our parents did what? <laughs> I have to assume that's the way you say it. It's the only good way to say it. And I was like, wow, I look really silly right now. That's all right. No one can see me. When when you're recording anything, this is like a pro tip from, from me to you. Whenever you're recording something, you're always supposed to smile while you're speaking because then it will sound like you're smiling. Ah. Uh-huh. So if you make really funny faces while you're saying our intro, you, it's you're doing it right. Perfect. Excellent. So, way to go. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So would you would you like to hear my mom moment of the week? Please tell me. It's really traumatic. Oh no. I did it. <laughs> I went off the the momming deep end this past weekend. My kids, they were just going bonkers in their behavior, in their um in their attitude, just like completely out of control. And at one point they ran into their bedroom and they have this bookshelf with all these little like square container boxes in it with -hmm. all their toys inside and they just like in this mania just like ripped all of the drawers out of their bookshelf and threw all their toys on the ground so I said listen that's fine but at the end of the day at bedtime whatever toys are still on the ground are going in a garbage bag and going to get donated (gasps) so clean it all up or they're going away And we had just watched, I don't know if you've seen the second Lego movie. I have not. So the the big like plot point in, in the second Lego movie is that they're trying to avoid our Armageddon. Oh my is, god. Which is where the mom will take all of the all of their world and like put it into the bin of storage. <laughs> so so like Finally, like at the end of the night, the kids were getting ready for bed and hadn't cleaned up anything. So I walked in there with five garbage bags and started putting (gasps) things in like Emma's favorite baby doll, Joey's favorite book, like everything's just on the ground. I just like put it in and I'm like, this is real life, our momageddon. (laughs) (laughs) And they were crying and they were so upset. And I was just like, this is what happens when you don't put your stuff away. (laughs) Just bagged it all up and they were they were beside them i've never i terrorized and tormented them i've never seen them so upset about anything and i i allowed them to like work to get back a few things that they really loved okay but most of it went away (laughs) i mean that's it for you i was like i can't i can't walk this back now that's it i've i've made yeah you can't you can't go back i was just like that's it that most of it's junk anyway like it's fine right but emma's favorite favorite baby doll got picked up in the slaughter and she was just like but baby but but my baby she's just like crying and i was just like you should have thought about that before she got baby back so it's fine but i was like i was really uncaring about it i felt really bad afterwards 
I mean, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Hard lessons, man. Tough love. But now, whenever this happens again, I'll be like, do you remember the last time this happened? And they'll (laughs) freak out and then they'll clean up their mess. I think you've proved your point. Well, I'm sure I've told you about the Saturday bag when I was growing up. Did I ever tell you? About this? I don't think so. Oh, okay. This maybe I'll make this my mom moment. It was it's a it's a mom moment of my mom. Um, <laughs> totally on the fly. I'm changing this. Yeah, when I was growing up, my mom had the Saturday bag, which my brother and I absolutely dreaded and feared oh, no. with all of our being. Which basically was, if you were bad or you didn't clean up your toys or you did something you know that you weren't supposed to do, um, she would take all of your favorite toys and put them in the Saturday bag and you wouldn't get them back until Saturday. And if it was Friday, you would get them the next Saturday. Oh, next time I do this, I think I will probably take that route of like, I'm going to take it away and I'll decide when you can get it back. What I did do though, is when I did collect all this stuff, I then like sorted it after they went to bed and all the things that I was like, I don't actually want to get rid of this. I actually like this thing. I put those items into a box that I hid in the basement And I'm going to basically say to them, okay, listen, we're going to have a point system or something where it's like, if you earn 20 points, you can have Dragony back. Oh. I'll bring him back to life. (laughs) Oh, my God. Not only do you have the power to take away, you have the power to resurrect. That's right. That's right. Mom is all-knowing, all-powerful. Ugh. (laughs) They will never doubt you again. I will. I I have benevolence, but do not test me. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's all very uh, uh, biblical around here these days. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna have to keep your Saturday bag in mind because I think it's probably the more humane approach to. I mean, I think that was traumatizing enough. I can't imagine it's going away forever. Gone. I give you. I. I give you props. That <laughs> is uh, really putting your foot down. <laughs> oh my gosh, honestly. Uh, as traumatizing as what I did was, what we're going to talk about today is even more traumatizing. So oh, no. I want to start off the episode by saying, if you are sensitive to the idea of terrible things happening to babies, which a lot of us are... <laughs> Who's not? <laughs> I know, right? But but this is very, very historical. This is like some, some old ancient stuff. So it, it's not like current practice or anything. But if the idea of really bad things happening to very little babies upsets you, don't listen to this episode. <laughs> so- I have no idea what you are about to tell me. <laughs> no, it's it's pretty it's pretty intense. So I, I picked up a couple of books at the library a couple of weeks ago. And one of the books is this wonderful book called Act Natural, A Cultural History of Misadventures in Parenting by Jennifer Trigg. And it's amazing. And she is so funny in the way she approaches the topics that she discusses, because a lot of them are not funny at all. Like, they're very, very serious and awful. But she is very tongue-in-cheek about the whole thing. And in the very first chapter, the very first thing she goes over is called exposure. And I was so I went down the rabbit hole of what exposure is and I was like I need to talk about this on the show even though it's very upsetting <laughs> because it is truly a wait they did what <laughs> so so we're going to talk a little bit about about infant exposure and the baby box <laughs> two things from history that are that that make me go oh my goodness what how did this whoa. so brace yourself 
it's a little intense, but very fascinating. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about it. All right. So infant exposure, although a huge bummer, is pretty ubiquitous throughout history. The further back you go, the more you you see it. And it's called exposure because when you had a baby, if for some reason you couldn't continue to have it, you would expose it to the elements, hunger, or wild animals. What? Insane, right? Yeah. Very upsetting. It was also sometimes known as potting because earthenware was very... It was everywhere then, you know, pots were all over the place. And so you'd put the baby in a pot and then put it out into (gasps) the world to just, I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't infanticide because you weren't killing the baby, but you were more or less killing the baby. Like you were just leaving it out there to die? Leaving it. Horrible. All right. So this was very common in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. In Rome, it's believed that between 20 and 40% of all infants born were exposed. And that's not even considering the infanticide rate, which was also very high. Like in Rome, most families had very few children, but there was no contraception. Like people had lots of babies and there was no way to have safe abortion. So people didn't consider a baby to really be a person until like well after it had been born. Because that's how they could kind of like morally get away with not letting the baby continue to be alive. So it was very, very crazy. Oh, my God. But totally normal back then. Like it was just as normal as taking the pill today. Like it was it was something you like. it wasn't like you hid that you did it. Like you'd just be like talking to your neighbors and you'd be like, oh, by the way, like little Susie couldn't couldn't keep her anymore. So we exposed her. Yeah. Like yeah. that's it. It was just normal. Yeah. It was just a thing that people did. So it was so normal. So we'll go into some of the, the normalness of this. So there are some very famously exposed children throughout mythology and history and things like that. So some famous exposed children, Oedipus. Poseidon, oh. Paris, Jupiter, Perseus, Gilgamesh, and Romulus and Remus, who founded Rome. So, like, Whoa. some of the most famous, powerful people were exposed. So it wasn't considered something where, like, like you were, it wasn't a death sentence because you could survive. How, though? Well, we'll go into that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, it gets weirder and weirder. <laughs> So the practice of exposing babies was done for several common reasons, and they included, like most people who can't keep a baby even today, poverty, unclear paternity, imperfect children, quote unquote imperfect children, but also on the reverse side of poverty, also sometimes wealth made people expose their children. So I'll go into each of these, and then we'll get into some some more modern versions of exposure. So newborns were often exposed by poor families because they didn't have enough money or food to care for the child. That's pretty obvious. But interestingly, older children, so if you had like three children already and then you had a baby, you didn't expose an older child. You didn't get rid of an older child to make room for a new one. They would almost always get rid of the newest baby (laughs) instead of saying, oh, my eight-year-old, they'll be fine on their own. Let's just get rid of this new one. And obviously, as we know, as women, more often than not, female babies were exposed. And that's still something that, you know, infanticide is more often something against female babies. And there's several reasons for this. Often it was due to the cost of a dowry. Families couldn't afford to pay a dowry on an extra child, so they would expose their female. The other thing is that females had less value to a nation because they couldn't go to war. 
So when you were waging wars constantly, having female babies wasn't as important or helpful to a society as having male babies. But when the male babies were exposed, it was often because a family couldn't afford to send that child to the good school. So they would go, oh, well, it would be it would be so dishonorable of us to send him to, you know, the state school instead of Harvard. So we'll just expose him. We're just going to get rid of him altogether. <laughs> yep. So now this is a this is a real disturbing one. I apologize in advance. This is one of the most disturbing examples of female infant exposure was discovered by colonizers, English colonizers in India in the 19th century because there weren't very many women in the highest caste they discovered. Like, why are there no women in the highest caste? And it's because women were always expected to marry up. But if you were a woman born into the highest caste, there was nowhere to go but down. So instead of the family being dishonored by you marrying down, they'd expose you. And then, well, we'll go into what happened to you once you were exposed. But but you wouldn't necessarily die. <laughs> But a, a different oh fate God. would befall you. Yes. So ugh. you have to wonder what things we do now mm -hmm. in hundreds or even like a thousand years, people are going to look back and say, can you believe they did that? It was so inhumane. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I know. I know. Anyway. So, <laughs> I mean, we still have things that we do today that are kind of out there and we'll 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 get there. So Great. can't wait. <laughs> so the next thing on our list of of reasons why you could be exposed is unclear paternity. So a husband or whoever was the male leader of the family in ancient cultures had the right to refuse a child if that child's paternity wasn't clear. And in some cultures, the acceptance of a child by the father was a prerequisite to be considered a human. If the father or the husband didn't accept you as their child, you weren't considered human. So you could just be exposed because this is how they like did away with their guilt. They were like, oh, right. well, I don't have to feel bad about this because this isn't actually like a baby. It's fine. <laughs> so, so then we get into the idea of an imperfect child, which is terrible. It was like children who were small, who were weak, who had a deformity, Aww. who even cried too much. If you were a baby who cried too much, <laughs> they'd go, oh, well, let's come up with a way where we can explain that this isn't really a baby or isn't really our baby and therefore it's okay for us to abandon it. So what parents would do was they'd say, oh, this is actually a changeling. It's not my baby. I was just going to say that. Yep. It's a changeling. <laughs> it, it was left here by a fairy or a demon. And now I can just put it out because it's not my baby. I just carried this thing and it was possessed by something and and so it's a changeling and I'll just put it outside like from whence it came but there there was a really fascinating quote of this woman who had a daughter and then had a baby that was weak or, or had whatever wrong with it that the mother was like well I'm not going to nurse this baby it's not as valuable to me as my current daughter so she said to her daughter go get my stick my digging stick so that I can go dig a hole to put this baby in, and then I'll be able to nurse you and give you the food that you need so that you can grow stronger. It was like, whoa. What? So some people even did that. They'd have a baby just so that they their milk would come in so that they could give more food to their children that they already had. So the new baby that they had was just like a means to getting the milk. I have so many thoughts in my head right now. I know. It's very upsetting. I'm trying to approach this with a smile on my face because otherwise I'd be crying. It's insane. So, <laughs> so moving on, exposure was seen as this humane option 
back in this time when it was done because most people instead of exposing would would just kill their babies they'd either lay upon them to smother them or they'd drown them was also really common but there was no safe way to have an abortion so if you couldn't have a baby for some reason or another you had to wait until it was born to do something with it because right. there was just no other way otherwise you know you'd be putting your life at risk and then you'd be risking the welfare of the children you already had and you know so it was just Ugh. Anyway, so because of all this, there was just less stigma around abandoning a child because it was common and there was just no other alternative. Mm -hmm. So this is so let's talk about the mechanics of exposure. If you wanted to expose a child, what you would do is every town, most towns at least, had an exposure place, like a place to go and expose your child. It was usually a place outside of the town and it was often in the same general area or the exact same area where they would put their feces, which is awful, but like <laughs> they'd have like a oh. dung, they called the dung heap, and then they'd put any exposed babies there as well. And people knew that this is where babies were exposed. So if you wanted a baby, oh, you'd go there to pick up a baby. So there were people who couldn't have babies who would like go and lurk and like try to claim the baby before it died. So you had that, but the the less savory version of this is people who went there to claim babies because they wanted to enslave the baby or they wanted to sell the baby or whatever, you oh. know. But as the parent of somebody who is exposing a child, you were like that's better than dying. Even if they're a slave, at least they're alive. So I mean <laughs> Right? I know. It's just, <laughs> ugh. And the thing is, is back then, slaves could buy their freedom. So they were like, oh, well, they'll be a slave for a little while, but then hopefully they'll make some money and then they'll buy their freedom and then they'll be fine. So, you know, so exposing was considered really very... It gave them a chance. Yeah, it was like kind of ethical. It was like, well, I'm not killing them, you know? Right. Oh, God. So incidentally, there's a whole list of names that are common last names for babies who were exposed if you if you were an exposed child and you went to live in like an orphanage or you know wherever you went to live they'd give you like a standard last name like john snow you know like you'd be given right. sort of this this name to indicate that you were a bastard so some of the some of the ones that i saw were esposito which means exposed and i i know someone whose last name is esposito so i was ah. like oh my gosh that's crazy <laughs> so in that person's like lineage in that person's history in their family someone had been exposed so the other one that's nuts is copro c-o-p-r-o and that translates to of dung or feces which is no. like i got this baby from the dung heap ah so if you ever meet anyone with that last oh name God. if your ah. last name is copro write to us i know right oh i'm so sorry <laughs> oh my goodness so but there are a lot there were a lot of them so anyway uh so people would go and and go and try to find these children that were exposed and so by the 7th and 8th centuries child abandonment through exposure was so common that they started to create institutions that would care for the infants because Christianity has started to become popular and they were like, we can't do this. We can't just leave yeah. babies outside for wild animals to eat because more often than not, they'd get eaten by wild animals. Yeah. And so, so they were like, okay, what can we do? So, so churches stepped in, hospitals stepped in, different things. And what they did was they created things called foundling homes. 
And many of them had anonymous spots that a baby could be left in, and then they'd be collected by the carers. So if you had a baby and you couldn't keep it for whatever reason, you'd go over to your local foundling home and you'd put the baby on this little turntable and turn it around and on the inside of the building it would open up to like a room that a person was standing in and they'd go oh another baby and they <laughs> bring it on in i'm thinking of like a drive through window it is it's so that is the exact same metaphor that jennifer Trigg uses she's like oh my it's god. like a taco bell except instead of getting tacos you give up your baby <laughs> i was like oh my god <laughs> so so yeah people people would go and and then they'd feel really like oh it's fine somebody's going to take care of my baby but this was before there were good medical treatments yeah. for things. So a lot of babies didn't survive foundling homes, but at least somebody was caring for them and trying their best to make them kind of comfortable, you know. So in the 1730s, Thomas Coram uh, was inspired to create the London Foundling Hospital after seeing so many babies abandoned on the side of the road on his way to work every day. He'd oh, be like God. walking along and see all these abandoned babies and go, I have to do something about that. So he created the London Foundling Hospital, which was one of the most famous foundling hospitals. It does not exist any longer. Now it's a beautiful park. But ugh, can you imagine? It's funny that like like uh, more people wouldn't be compelled by seeing all of these abandoned babies on the side of the road. I know, right? <laughs> Everyone else just walked by like, oh, it's another Monday morning. Just another baby. Yeah. But I guess, you know, when something is that common, you just go, yep. And that's I guess, it. I guess. I mean, maybe, I mean, this, I, I don't mean this, like, I think this, but I'm. it might be to them, like, seeing, like, a stray dog yeah. barking. Yes. We don't even think about it. Or, like, a stray cat, you know, like, in the neighborhood. You just go, oh, it's a cat. Anyway, so the devices that babies were left on were known as foundling wheels. So what they eventually evolved into is the modern-day baby hatch or baby box. This is modern, Diane. It's real. It exists today. In present-day Germany, if a baby is abandoned at a baby hatch, a parent has eight weeks to return to claim the baby without any legal repercussions. They can just drop the baby off for eight weeks and then come back and get it. And it's sort of like a, oh, you're overwhelmed. Oh, you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. Whatever. Like, we'll take it. No questions asked. And you can still come back and get it. But after eight weeks, they adopt out the baby. So historically, this is this is like the non-terrible part about this story. Historically, babies would be left with a small token or trinket that their parents could then use to identify them with, which reminded me of Annie <laughs> oh. with her locket. So it's like they yes. leave them with this little thing and then they could come back and say, oh, I left my baby with this. So people would leave like little notes on pieces of paper or a little string or a little piece of jewelry. And, and then they'd come back and be like, oh, I want my baby back. This is what I left them with. And that's how you could kind of find them. Obviously, it wasn't a great system because they had no way to, like, document what a baby was brought in with or whatever. But sometimes right. the, the child would keep that thing. And it would be very precious to them. I, I don't think very many parents and children were, were reunited. I don't think that was super common. But, but I think it made the parents feel better to be like, oh, I could find them if I wanted to. So going back to something we mentioned in our diaper episode, um, in Italy, the Ospedale dei Innocenti was the main foundling home. And they ran into a particularly bad problem when th there was a, a very bad 
I guess, few years, decade, whatever, where people went through some very hard times with health, with money, et cetera, et cetera. And so people had started to try to abandon older babies as well as infants. So we're talking like two and three-year-olds. But these babies were too big to fit into the foundling wheel. So the parents would grease their bodies no. to slide them in. But the babies would then get stuck and then they'd get hurt trying to get them out. And like, <gasps> like their bones wouldn't, you know, it was just awful. So the hospital eventually had to put a grate over the depository so that only the smallest infants could actually fit in. <sighs> wow. So, like, just what? <laughs> All right. So we're, we're getting close to the... <laughs> I guess when you're starving, not to really yeah, bring it down, I know. But I guess when you're starving and, and you figure like, well, I, my baby's either going to starve to death or they can go to this foundling hospital and they'll yep. they'll be taken care of, maybe have a chance. Yeah, like they have no chance with me, but at least here they have maybe right. a chance. Yeah. So, in current day United States, there are two baby hatches, and they are both in Indiana. <laughs> Whoa, Indiana, what's going on? I know, right? They were created in 2016, Diane. This isn't like something that existed in the 50s and still exists today. This is like... Whoa. (laughs) So all 50 states have not baby hatches, but they have safe haven laws. And so this allows parents to drop off newborns without legal ramifications at certain designated locations. So like a hospital, fire department, a police station, any of those places you can go and take your baby and say, I can't take care of this baby. Please take it. And they'll take it from you and you will not be penalized. I don't think you're allowed to have that baby back without much to do. But no, I don't think so. <laughs> but you know, if you needed to, you, your child would have a safe place to go. And we're pretty good about, I, th- I think, modern day standards of what a child can expect is much better than it was in foundling homes of the 1700s. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to wrap up with one last crazy story that is not so far in our past and really shows that we are still quite bonkers today. So in 2008, Nebraska passed a safe haven law that went into effect. But when they wrote it, they had neglected to write an age limit at which a child could be dropped off. They had meant to make it, you know, like most states have up to 72 hours after the baby's born Mm -hmm. or up to six months old or whatever. So people were surrendering children of all ages One man surrendered nine children between the ages of one and 17. (laughs) What? And one woman traveled 1,200 miles just to drop off her (gasps) 14-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) People were coming from all over the state, all over the country. They were like, I got to do this before they change the law. And like, because within a couple months, (laughs) they changed the law to be like within however many months after the baby's born. But before that, people were like, no repercussions. I can just drop off my kid. Thousands of children were surrendered because <gasps> of the way that law was written. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Because I was a bad enough kid that, I mean, I don't think I was really that bad. But I think there were days when my parents probably thought I was bad enough that they would have loved to take me to <laughs> wow. Hey, to you Nebraska. know, break time, you yeah. may have you may have taken away all of your children's toys, but you did not threaten to send them to the baby, what is it, baby hatch? To the baby hatch. But yeah, there are all kinds of European countries where there are still baby hatches. They're very common in Europe where like you just go up and open the hatch and pop them in and close it and a nurse comes and takes your baby. (sighs) So yeah. Wow. Intense. Intense, Diane. (laughs) 
I wonder if like, I don't, first of all, I don't know who's listening, but anybody out there in podcast land, I mean, I don't know how you'd even know, but if you were a baby that was given up at like a baby hatch, I would love to know your story. I'm fascinated by this. I know. I know. I, I apologize profusely if you decided to listen to this episode and it really upset you. It's an upsetting topic, but it felt as I was reading it like something that we should discuss because it truly is one of those things where we're like, how is that something we ever did? Oh, I think this is the perfect embodiment of our parents did what? Yes. <laughs> Just nuts. It's a wonder that we even survived as a species. Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. Thank goodness. I Like when I read through this, I thought to myself, thank goodness we have birth control because without it, would we still be doing things like this? Would we still oh. be horrible to babies? <laughs> Some version or form of it, 100%, I think. Because humans will always find a way. Mm -hmm. It's just wild. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> On that note, Diane, <laughs> that brings me to the end of my explanation of exposure and baby boxes. <laughs> it's sad because I think that there are very few actual first-person accounts of exposure because the people who expose children... Um, were often women. It was also exposure was a woman's work. It was not something that men did. And I think that the voices of women have been silenced through history. So mm -hmm. we look at this and think how cruel, how awful. But from the few accounts that I was able to find, it was something that tortured women. It was something that destroyed them that they had to do this and that they felt very, very badly about because it is a biological evolutionary imperative that you care for your child when it's born. But I think... I have babies already. I can't afford those babies. What do I do with this one? I will do this thing that possibly gives them the best chance that they have. Right. So if you look at it through that lens, it's not as inhumane and terrible as it sounds at first glance. So huh, it's still awful, but. Wow. What an interesting topic, though. I'm glad you think so. I'm glad it didn't completely upset you to no end. <laughs> I also have a weird fascination with all things morbid. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very morbid. So, it, yeah. I mean, like, and, and not in a way that, it, like, brings me joy, but just that it's, I find it interesting. And it's history. Yes. It's so far in the past that it feels, it feels disconnected enough from us that it doesn't feel like we have to own it in a really personal way. It's how like reading about crimes or murders from like the 1800s, you can have such a disconnect from it than hearing about something maybe horrific that happened in like the 70s or the 80s. It almost feels like it's not real. It was so long ago. Yes, exactly. If you'd like all of the all of the behind the scenes details on this topic or any of the other topics we go into on the show, you can visit our website at www.opdwpodcast.com. If you have any stories about exposure within your family and your family history, get in touch with us. We have an email address, opdwpodcast at gmail.com. And we're at opdwpodcast on all the social media sites. So you can hit us up with your hashtag mom and dad moments. We'd love to chat with you in any and all means our music is by theo rosenberg so thank you theo thanks theo until next time don't leave your baby on a dung heap